Wow. No, wow. That was... Thank you very much, all of you. That was amazing. So we're in this series called How to Defend Your Faith and Stay Friends. When people ask you questions about your faith, how do you, how do you answer their questions? How do you defend your faith and stay friends? It's, it's based on actually a Facebook conversation that's been going on for the last eight or nine years uh, with an old friend who I met at youth group uh, years and years ago. Uh, our, our spiritual uh, journeys have taken us in two different directions. I'm obviously a pastor, and she no longer believes in, uh, in God. I don't think she ever really did. Emily never really believed. She said she went to youth group for the social aspect, and, but she got me to come back to youth group the second time because of her kind gesture, and that's why um, we were friends. And then 30 years later, she Facebooked me, and we got into, you know, we reconnected and started asking each other's questions, and this is what we got into, this conversation. Um, it's it, the whole, all the conversations you can find in a book. What's on your mind? I actually turned this into a book. I originally did it for our, our college students, so high school students going into college. I wanted them to be prepared when they got to college. Uh, but as I wrote it, it really for, it's really for everyone. But it's written in kind of layman's terms, so I think most people can understand it, even high school students and even junior high students. Because I put a lot of definitions in the book. But if you'd like to get the book, it's out at Wise Words. And I I was thinking this week also. Um, a lot of our high school students have obviously graduated, gone on to college, and they're a junior and sophomore year. A lot of them are freshmen. And I would like to send them the book for free. I'm going to donate some of my own money, but if you would like to be a part of that, if you'd like to donate, I think if we raise about $500, we could send all of our college students that I, I can think of um, this book. We'll just send it out in the next couple of weeks so they'll have it while they're at college, especially the freshmen first starting out. So let me know if you're interested in doing that. So I want to just jump right in and kick off with Emily's first question, her first topic. She wrote this, I find value in everything, with or without God. Later she wrote, I do believe that we long for purpose, but why must it be defined by religion? So she said, I believe we all long for purpose, but why must that be defined by religion? So here's a question I want us to consider this morning. Is there human value? Do we have value? Is there meaning? Is there purpose in this life without God? Okay, if you take God out of, God out of it, is there meaning, value, and purpose? That's the question that we all need. Every single human being on the planet needs to ask themselves. Because here's the thing. When you're developing a worldview or you're trying to understand what you believe or why you believe it, this question becomes foundational. Is there value? Is there meaning? Is there purpose in their life, this life without God? In his book, Can Man Live Without God? Ravi Zacharias says this. But there is at least one thing that both theists and atheists agree on. And that is that no matter what the starting point, we must all attempt to answer the question of life's meaning. Is there meaning to life? What is the meaning of life, right? That's the number one question. Whether you're a theist, a Christian, or whether you're an atheist, you have to answer that question. What is the meaning of life? I would submit to you that if you eliminate God from the equation, if you eliminate God, then life, by definition, becomes completely meaningless. If you take God out of the equation, the question itself becomes meaningless, 
The great questions of the universe. How did I get here? How did, how did I get here? How did we get here? What is our purpose now that we're here? Now that I exist and I, and I can think and I can rationalize, I can reason. What, what, is, what is the purpose of my existence? And where am I going when I die? All of those, all of those questions, all the questions of the universe become completely meaningless if God is not in the equation. Think about it. Why ask them? Do worms ask those questions? Do ants ask those questions? Are animals walking around, hey, wait, wait, contemplating their own existence? Why even, why even ask them? Here's the thing. You're just on this globe, this blue globe that we call earth by mistake. By, by random chance, by pure luck. What is the purpose in asking the questions if there's no God? It's just, you're here, there's this thing we call, we decide to call earth, and it's surrounded by trillion stars, and there's uni- the universe and the galaxy and everything, and here's your little, you're a little dot on this earth asking, if there's no God, why are you asking those questions? There's no purpose in even asking the question. Apart from God, we often allow people like, when, in my discussions with people, they say, well, culture, it's culture who, who you know, gives us the meaning and everything. So people allow culture to define meaning for them. And power, money, and fame are usually on the top of the list. That's what gives us meaning and purpose. Lee Iacocca, in his book, Straight Talk, wrote this. Here I am in the twilight years of my life. Still wondering what it's all about. I can tell you this, fame and fortune is for the birds. See, whenever you talk to someone who has fame or fortune or they have power and everything, when, when, they, when they finally get there, most of them will say, this isn't really satisfying. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Why, you ever ask yourself, why is it so many people who, who are famous, like especially like uh, art, musical artists and things, they die so young. They're on drugs, they're anesthetizing themselves constantly. Wait, they have it all, don't they? Culture defines what meaning and purpose is for us. It's money, power, and fame. Why are these people so miserable? Some look, some look, um, some look within themselves to find meaning and purpose. You, know, you just got to look deep. You can't find it? Look deeper. No, you still can't, but look deeper. Deep, no, you've got to look even deeper. You just got to look within yourself to find that meaning in life. It's so important. Just look deeper and deeper and deeper. Or they, uh, they, they define it by their own terms. Here's the reality. Okay, I think a lot about this. If you deny God, if people deny God, they must, okay, thinking people. Some people just go to sleep. They think about things and they, it overwhelms them a little bit. And they don't want to think about why they, how they got here and what their purpose is. They just go, to, they intellectually go to sleep. But most people, intellectual people, people who have, are thoughtful, they have to create meaning in their lives. Because if they don't, it becomes unimaginable to live in this world, to live on this earth. There's no God, and so you have to create in your mind, in your own little bubble world, some kind of meaning and purpose to this. Because if you don't, okay, it is unimaginable. The things that you went through as a child, the things that you go through now, there's no God, there's no purpose in any of it. It is unimaginable. So people have to create, they have to create their own meaning and purpose. Without God, listen to me, without God, the foundation of your beliefs is up for grabs. 
The, fa- the very foundation of what you believe is up for God. If, there, if you say there's no God, your feet are planted firmly in midair. Think about it. Where's the foundation of what you believe? What are you basing on? Your feet are planted firmly in midair. Show of hands, who believes that some things are right and some things are wrong? Show of hands. Raise your hand if you think there's good and evil, right and wrong. Okay? So I want you to think about this for a second. Um, Why do you believe that? Why is it that you believe some things are right and some things are wrong? Without God, there is no right and wrong. When you take God out of the equation, there's, there's no right and wrong. Those terms become meaningless and using them is hypocritical. So if you come in, you're just kind of trying to figure all this stuff out. And please don't take, I get all passionate, but does, I'm, not, I'm not being aggressive. I'm not mad at anyone who thinks differently than I do. I just get excited about it. But here's the reality. If you, think, if you use the words right, wrong, good, evil, okay, and you don't believe in God, it's hypocritical. Why, why are you even using those terms? Without God's absolute truth, how can you ever tell me that I did something wrong? By whose definition? Who, by, who, by, by whose definition? Who gets to decide right and wrong? You? Culture? Our society? Think of, just think about that. Why is, your definition of, why is your definition of right or wrong, good or evil, better than Hitler's, more, more significant or, more, or better than Hitler's, or, or Mao Zedong, or Stalin, or Jack the Ripper, or, or Osama bin Laden, for that matter? Why is your definition of right and wrong any better than their definition? Who, who gets to decide? We just went through, we just passed 9-11, right? For some of us who are old enough, one of the worst days of our entire lives all right. So we look at this, and, we, and when those buildings crumble, we lost thousands of people. People, our own country, our own countrymen. We lost thousands of people. Some of you even know people we lost. Do you know? In some cultures, people were dancing in the streets. This was great. This was right. They're excited. They celebrate 9/11 as the day the buildings crushed 3,000 or 4,000 of our people. Why are they wrong? How do you tell, how can you say they're wrong? They felt great about it. They felt it was the right thing to do. How can you say it was wrong? In a debate between, between Frederick Copeland and Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Russell is an atheist and uh, Frederick Copeland was a, a theist. Copeland asked Russell if he believed in good and bad, and Russell, the atheist, said that he did. He admitted that he did. So Copeland asked him, how he dif- differentiates between the two. And Russell, Russell said, the same way I differentiate between colors. So, so Copeland said, I'm going to quote it, but you distinguish between colors by seeing, don't you? How then do you distinguish or judge between good and bad? And Russell responded, on the basis of feelings, what else? My friends, how in the name, how in the name of reason and logic, please think this through with me, whether you believe in God or not, okay? How in the name of reason reason and logic can you possibly differentiate between good and bad based on your feelings? Whose feelings? What What if your feelings change tomorrow? What if my feelings and your feelings disagree with each other? So we have different feelings. I think 9-11 was horrible. You think it was wonderful. So you differentiate between good and bad, right and wrong based upon your feelings? 
You see, without God, absolute truth is just a, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, it ends up being a, phys- a philosophical debate or exercise. And I'll tell you something, philosophical debates and exercise in a classroom are a lot of fun. You know where they're not a lot of fun? In, real, in the real world. When you try to apply those philosophical ideas and, and concepts to the, real, to the real world. Without God, without God's absolute truth, you're in a constant state of what I call uh, intellectual intoxication. Without God, without God's absolute truth, okay, God, absolute truth, you're in a constant state in your mind of intellectual intoxication. It's like you're seeing double. You ever been, you know, I, I remember when I, before I was a believer, I drank. I was a teenager, drank. I remember not, people, things were moving, okay, it was very difficult to really, you could reach for one thing and, you know, because it was, things were moving around. So you're in this, you're in this intellectual intoxication, if you will. You're double, you, you're seeing double. There's no true reality. Truth is elusive. Truth becomes kind of like a mist, right? It's a mist without God's absolutes. For me, it's clear. It's clear. If you use the word good, if you say something is good or right, you have to assume there's evil. If you use the word good, then you assume evil. Because what is the opposite of good, right? If you're saying something is good, okay, then you're measuring something else would be bad or evil. If you say something is good or evil, then there needs to be a moral law that determines what's good or bad, right? Right or wrong, good or evil. So if you use the word good, you assume evil. If you assume good and evil, then there must be a moral law that determines what's right and wrong, good or evil. If you assume a moral law, then you have to assume a moral law giver, God. If you take God, if you erase God from the equation, then there is no moral law that determines right, wrong, good or evil. If there is no moral law, there's no good, there's no, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no evil. And so when you use those terms, you're a hypocrite. In your own worldview, why are you using them? C.S. Lewis wrote this. I absolutely love it. The moment you use the word better, you assume a point of reference. The moment you judge something and use the word better, you're assuming a point of reference. Where do you get your point of reference from? The collective group of individuals in a society decide blah, 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 until they decide that they should kill all the Jews in Germany. No. Where do you get them? The moment that you use the word better, you assume a point of reference. Without God, concepts like right and wrong, good and bad are meaningless. And so why on earth do you bother to use them? I'll tell you why. Because, because you can't help to use them, but not to use them in the real, in the real world. We were created in the image of God. We, all of us are created in the image of God. And every, every time, every time we see injustice, our hearts cry out. When we see things that are wrong, our hearts cry out. We, we, we can't, when we see or experience injustice, it's just human. In Jeremiah 12.1, Jeremiah says to God, I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? He's looking around him and he's seeing things that are not just. And he's saying to God, I would speak to you about your justice. Why would he even bring that up? 
Because we live in a real world and we see injustice humanly because we're creating the image of God. We react to that. We can't help but ask the questions when we see pain or we see suffering or we see cruelty or we see abuse. So uh, you see these images. Why does that bother you to see those? Not your kids, not your family. Why do, why do you react? Why, why in our nature do we, when we see a starving, emaciated child, do we emotionally react and want to do? It's not right. People ask the question, the biggest question, if there's a God, if there's a good God, if God is good, why does he allow little children? People ask, non-believers, people who don't believe in God will say to me, well, there's a God, then why blah, blah. Because it's innately in us to react to injustice. If there's no God, why are we even asking the question? If you claim there's no God, you can't even live out your worldview in the real world. If you use words like right or wrong or good or bad, it's hypocritical. And here's the deal. You have to, if you have a worldview, you need to be able to truly to live it out. In our culture, our culture, think, I want you to think about this. I thought about it like the last couple of days. Our culture... And the media use morality, use, listen to my words, they use morality and truth. Not to reflect on their own behavior, but to judge someone else's. Hear what I'm saying? Our culture and our media, okay, they, 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 they use morality, they use it, and they use truth, not to reflect on their own behavior, but to judge someone else's. It's sheer hypocrisy. When the light of truth is on me, all truth is relative. Right? All truth is relative. When you shine the light on me, I say, all truth is relative. But when the light is shined on you, it's absolute. That's how we live in our culture. If it shined on me, it's relative. If it shined on you, it's absolute. Disagree? Go home tonight and watch the news or your favorite entertainment show. And watch them. The people who would scream that there are no absolutes. All truth is relative. Judging. I'm telling you, friends, people who say truth is relative judge and condemn others like a sport. Like a sport. Just go watch. I'm not making this up. This is so easily defended, what I'm saying. Go watch the news and go watch your favorite entertainment show. And the people who would say all truth is relative, they condemn and judge other people who they don't like, like it's a sport. But then as soon as the light of truth is on them, oh, wait, hold, you can't judge. Judge not lest ye be judged, which we're going to talk about in one of the sermons. Judge not lest, that's where they throw that out. They know one verse in scripture and that's the one they know, right? When it's you... You're condemned forever. You did something when you were 13 years old. Now you want to be a senator? Whoa. You're done, pal. You said something mean to someone in fourth grade. It's all over for you. Right? What makes you think you're qualified to run now for anything? Condemnation and judgment when it's somebody else. You know, here's the thing. 
Even to say that I'm wrong. Somebody may be thinking here, sitting here, he's wrong, he's wrong. Even to say that I'm wrong, you need to borrow from my worldview even to be in a conversation with me. Think about that. And, and for you to say that I'm wrong, you need to borrow from my worldview even to have a conversation with me because without God, there you have no reference point for the conversation. So in order for us to get into a debate about right or wrong, if I'm right or wrong, you need to borrow from my worldview to have the conversation because you have no reference point for the conversation. Now ask yourself, do you still think I'm wrong? Right? Remember, without God, all truth is relative. Your truth is your... How many times have you heard this? Your truth is your truth because you believe it, and my truth is my truth because I believe it. And your feet are firmly planted in midair. But you can't live that way. To go even further, without God, things like love, compassion have no meaning at all in this world. Things like love and compassion are meaningless. Love is just a chemical reaction. Love and compassion, what you saw up on the screen, if it, if it, if it made you really your heart beat a little bit, and you, love and compassion is just a chemical reaction in your brain brought about by external stimuli. There's no such thing as love. That's just a... A chemical in your brain that shoots off something and says, Oh, she's pretty, or Oh, he's handsome. Except when, you, except when you do something that goes totally against your nature to love someone. Except when you push someone out of the way or jump in front of someone to protect someone else or would jump and run into a burning building or whatever the case may be for a stranger. And then all of a sudden you realize, Wait, wait, there is love and there is compassion. So... But if there's no God, then how do you explain those kinds of things? For some of you, you may, you may come here to hear this series to ask questions about suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? And I'm not being, I'm not being, um, not trying to be funny or sarcastic, but um, without God, why ask the question? Why is there suffering in the world? Well, well, there's no God. Why ask the question? Here's the thing. And, I'm, and again, just I'm, do, I'm using logic. You evolved from a primordial soup billions of years ago. Sometime in the span of human history, you were born. You evolved and you were born. Okay? Then you suffered through something and you died. There's your answer. Is that satisfying? That's it. Why is there suffering in the world? You evolved, you were born, you suffer, and you die. There's your answer. Take God out of the equation. That's your answer. There's no way around it. Any, any true atheist will tell you that's the truth. Robbie Zacharias tells a story of one time when he was, um, he was on a, in a debate with an atheist, and he was on the radio. And a woman called up before they got started, and she said, Well, if you believe that there's a God, then... And she said to Robbie Zacharias, If you believe there's a God, then tell me why my daughter has cancer. Of course, she's addressing it to Robbie, right? So what Robbie says is, he says, Madam, in his distinctive voice, Before I answer your question, I would like to give my opponent a chance to answer first. Radio silence. He 
said nothing. He just shrugged his shoulders. He had no answer. Apart from God, there is no answer to that woman's question. The best that we can, the best that they can offer is basically this. Too bad. Better luck next time. Too bad you weren't born with better genetics. That's just too bad for you. That's life. You know, there's a bumper sticker, and I won't use the word, obviously, but it says, S happens. There's your answer. Literally, that's what I've been told before. Hey, there's my answer. Stuff happens. Put it on your bumper sticker. Put it on your forehead. Get a tattoo that says stuff happens. There's your worldview. To answer any questions of the universe that are really difficult, there's the answer that you're left with. So I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, to be honest with you. Because I, my world, in my, I have to be able to live out my worldview in the real world. I have to be able to live it out in the real world without being hypocritical. My dis- in my discussion with Emily, she wrote this. I would rather remain silent than to invent some cruel fantasy that just raises more questions. For me, it's much more logical and satisfying to accept that it's just good old-fashioned luck. She continues, life happens. We're the ones who apply meaning, lessons, grief, worry, gratitude, laughter, and sometimes we even invent religions. I've quoted this before, but I'm going to quote it again, and I'll probably quote it again and again. G.K. Chesterton said this, When belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him. But in heaven's name, to what? When belief in God becomes difficult, and it does for all of us, we'd be lying if we all were sitting here saying, you're thinking, I'm not an atheist, I have a lot of questions. Me too, I still have a lot of questions. But when we go through things and belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency of the world and sometimes the church is to turn away from him. But G.K. Chesterton is right. In heaven's name, to what? We have profound, challenging questions, legitimate questions, and often the best we get from the other side is luck, coincidence, or stuff happens. We need to understand this so when people ask us questions, we can answer the questions and give them a reason, right? Always give a reason for what you believe, but do it with gentleness and respect. You can walk people through this process. Many people have come this morning maybe to seek answers to your questions about God. You're not an atheist. You're, you're maybe not a believer. You're not a believer in Jesus or whatever. You haven't given your life to Christ, but you come seeking answers and you want to know more about God, about life. And I'll do my best to answer your questions, but here's the reality. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's the reality of being a Christian sometimes. Christians need to answer the questions of the universe. All the questions in the universe. And if we come up short because we don't know the answer to something, it's, aha, see, you don't have an answer, therefore there's no God. Well, to be really honest with you, just because you can't explain something doesn't mean it's not real or true. I'll give you an example. Science can't explain how gravity works or why we fall asleep. So do yourself an experiment. I want you to go stand in the middle of your yard, okay, and do an experiment. Stand there and deny the existence of sleep or gravity. Just stand there. After a while, you'll fall asleep and you'll smash your face against the ground because of gravity. And you'll realize that both those things are true, though you can't explain them. 
There are things that we don't understand, and my friends, there are things we're never going to understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of His law. God reveals, God has revealed enough truth to us to live meaningful, purpose-filled lives. God has given us enough truth, okay? He's, he's revealed enough truth to us to live meaningful, all of us meaningful, purpose-filled lives. Let me go back to Emily's um, statement. For me, it's much more logical and satisfying to accept that that's just good old-fashioned luck. She says, we are the ones who apply the meaning, lessons, grief, worry, gratitude, and laughter, and sometimes even invent religions. So... Are our lives directed by God? Okay, there's a, his, his is her question. Are our lives directed by God or is everything just pure luck? Do we face this life alone or does God intervene in our journey? Now, I'm going to answer that question when? Yes, and I know you're frustrated, but I'm going to answer it next week. But here's what I want to do. I wanted to stop a little bit early this morning. Okay, this is the only time we're going to do this. On Sunday morning, but I want to stop just a little early because I asked Pastor David, where's Pastor David? He should be here. He's going to come up. What we want to do is we want to get you started this on this reveal survey, okay? We want to give you a chance to do it. So David's going to explain it, okay? And then hopefully we can take us a couple of minutes because we start, we, we ended early, we ended early to, uh, to go through and, and start filling out this reveal survey. One last thing before I stop. Please. This, we're going to go into why is there suffering, you know, is, you know, is, is, there, is there divine intervention or is everything just pure luck? We're going to go through all of these questions, even answering questions like, what does the Bible mean when it says, judge not, lest ye be judged? Make sure you're inviting people to this series. It could really change their lives. Go ahead, David.